All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy 3. It will be a few minutes before we get there, but uh, I love that you're bringing God's word and we're looking at it together. It wasn't long ago in America that on Friday nights, like half of America were at Blockbuster Video. In fact, yeah, you remember, as recent as 2004, there were 9,000 Blockbuster locations. Today, we know of one. And that one location is more of a museum than it is a service. You see, Blockbuster offered something that America wanted, and that was VCR tapes and eventually DVDs. But after a while, when that business did not diversify or adapt, didn't have a box like a red box or didn't have a streaming service like Netflix or something like that, then that company had nothing else to offer. So this, lets, this leads me to a question. We're at part two of what is the church or the church. We talked about what is the church last week. Hey, this Sunday I want to ask this question and I want to answer this question. What does the church have to offer the world? What does the church have to offer the world? Like why are we doing what we do and what do we give to the world? Do we offer great buildings? Do we offer trendy music here in the 21st century with the latest production techniques? Do we offer cool guys in their 30s and 40s who can speak effectively? Well, buildings, they, they fade out and music style changes and men in their prime become old men. Those things all change and at every generation, the way we've done church has changed. So what are we really offering then? We're not offering personality and style and, and things that just excite us for a decade or so. What is it that the church has to offer? Well, today I want us to look at different scriptures and theological concepts of what the church has to offer the world. Because I know this is that in every generation, under every uh, type of government in every scenario possible, whether it's peace or war, whatever it is, the church is offering something to the world. Now, I'm not going to talk about community today because that is kind of embedded on who we are as a church. We are the gathering. We are the community. And I would say this is that you can find community on earth in different types of organizations and groups. Now, you can't find heavenly community, and you can't find eternal community, but that's not one of the issues that I will address today. But I want to give a few things from Scripture and just from our own experience that we know that the church can offer that's different than any other entity in the world can offer. Now, in academics, the judicial system, collectibles, we value something old because of the potential for originality. In fact, the older it is and if it's verified, we know it's closer to that which is original. That's why the church offers something unique. And here's number one today is we offer the word of God. That's what the church offers in every generation. Not the word of man, but the word of God. The word of man is trendy. The word of God is confrontational. The word of man is circumstantial. The word of God is unchangeable. The word of man is temporal. 
And the word of God is eternal. So we offer the word of God. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on this point now, what I'm about to say, but I want to just make it clear to you that Jesus is the word of God. That's who the word is. So we offer Jesus. Sometimes we only associate the word of God with scripture. Scripture is irreplaceable, but Jesus is the word of God. And we know Jesus is the word of God because of the scripture. And so we, we know those things are so connected that they are synonymous in many ways. But before God's people had access to the scripture, we've only had access to the scripture about 500 years. We still had Jesus. And Jesus is the word of God. He's the word in flesh. He's the word incarnate. This is what we share and we share that which is reliable that is Holy Scripture. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, Because you have been born again, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Through Jesus, John chapter 1 reveals that. We, we've been born again by the word of God. We're not born again by the word of man. That's why when mankind does dumb stuff. It doesn't change God's word. Christ is love church. We offer the word of God revealed through the scripture. Now we'll go to second Timothy chapter three. I heard some rustling papers of those of you who are not trusting the screen blindly. I commend you for that. But here is our main text for the day. And when I'm done, I'll present it as the word of the Lord. And you can say thanks be to God if you choose to. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look at that scripture, and you can keep that slide up just for a second. You've known the scriptures, which give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see that progression of knowledge to faith centered on the person, the God, Jesus Christ. He is the word of God to us. Scripture has incomparable value. It's like no other source of wisdom, no other, uh, no other source of literature. Scripture is how our faith is formed because we don't know what our faith is unless we search Scripture to find that original source, the story of God that started with Adam to Noah to Abraham to all the way through the line of David, all the way to Jesus. And then those of us who are Gentiles, we've been grafted into that story. Thanks be to God for what he's done. And so we make a big deal about the Bible around here. And we make a big deal about scripture. That's why there is nothing more important that your, that your elementary child does on a Wednesday night than Awana. I, there is nothing more important because they'll memorize the books of the Bible. They'll memorize scriptures connected with salvation. 
They'll learn theological concepts from Scripture. And at those early years, the ability to intellectually absorb and, and that rote memory that comes when the Word of God comes into your mind. I, I had some great spiritual instruction as a child. And today when we had the uh, Scripture that, um, that Beth prepared for us for the call to worship, I started reciting that psalm in a different version from something that I learned when I was six and seven years old. Man, it's important, guys. It's important. He's not, you might say, well, my kid didn't have fun last week. Take him back anyway. God's going to work through that because some concepts, we want them to have fun. That's an important part of Awana, so I'm not belittling that. We want people to love, we want the kids to love church. We do. So we, that's why we laugh, we play games, we do all that kind of stuff. But we also know that, that training isn't fun 100% of the time, right? Learning to read, learning your math equations, and learning scripture. And we can't rely on the school system to teach our kids scripture. We, we, we can't do that. We have to teach our kids scripture, and every one of us who's connected to this church is part of our responsibility. Thank you for supporting Awana. And however, just by supporting this church, you support Awana and, and the work that Pastor Faith and her team is doing as we speak. Deanna's team is doing great work with the nursery right now. We teach the word of God. We have sermons like I'm giving right now centered on the Bible. We have small group discussions about the Bible. We have devotional opportunities through men's and women's about the Bible. We make a big deal out of the Bible. And that is what we offer the word, world. Excuse me. We offer the world the word of God. The Statue of Liberty, 1886, it was given to our country from, from France because France had this incredible alliance with our country uh, in the Revolutionary War. And, and France wanted us always to remember the special relationship they had with the United States. And that's been good at times because that relationship's been strained, even my lifetime here and there. And sometimes I'm, I have to remind myself, you know, France played such an important part of us becoming a country. And so the Statue of Liberty now is outside of New York City. And then it became something more than just uh, the relationship between two countries. It became the first thing millions of immigrants saw as they came over from mostly from Europe. And they saw the Statue of Liberty on Ellis Island and were processed there. And now that statue symbolizes so much for us as a people. I mean, I know that. That statue is protected. That statue says freedom. It says liberty. It says opportunity. It's a powerful, powerful symbol. I want to talk next about what we offer the world. We offer the world sacraments. Sacraments. I talked about the Statue of Liberty because this, was, this is something physical and visible that represents something um, intangible, that something that's part that you can't really put put words to, or you can put words to, but you can't um, substantially uh, see. And that is that freedom and that opportunity. And there's something more powerful than a patriotic symbol. And that is the symbol Jesus Christ himself said, hey, these are things that every Christian should do and be a part of. And those are the sacraments. 
A sacrament is a visible sign of inward grace. It's something you can see. You can see a sacrament. You can see it happen and your senses can engage with a sacrament. And we have two sacraments at our church, um, water baptism and communion. And I want to talk about these things. Um, They're not just symbols, even the illustration of the Statue of Liberty is a weak illustration when you compare it to uh, the sacraments. Because the sacraments are not just symbolic, there is real presence. The presence of God is in the sacraments. They're not just something symbolic we do. They're, They're a way to engage with the presence of the Lord. And that's why that's what we offer the world. We offer the world sacraments. We offer the world something that is a gateway to the divine in heaven. It's something physical, something we can buy at the store or we can pump out of the pipes, the city pipes. It's, it's just something normal. I mean, we have to have bread to stay alive. We have to have water to stay alive. So it's important, but it's so everyday and regular uh, that the Lord said, I'm going to take something that is physical regular, every day that you can't replace, and I'm going to call it holy. I'm going to put my presence when you dedicate those things to me. Let's talk about water baptism. Water baptism, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said this before he ascended to heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Can I just say he didn't say make converts, even though it's a good thing to convert people. He said make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This idea of let people be so identified with Jesus and let them understand the way of Jesus that they're willing to to take this physical step to show what God has done spiritually. May they understand Jesus and his uniqueness and his way and his call that they willingly and ceremonially and publicly allow themselves to be submerged in water and reemerge as publicly transformed. Now the transformation has already happened out of faith, out of what Jesus has done internally and spiritually, but the public part is Jesus said himself the way we fulfill righteousness. So God has called us to baptize thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people. Because when that happens, it's not just lifting their hand after a good sermon. Now listen, the Holy Spirit moves. I'll I'll have people raise their hand in this section, this section, that section, that section. That's, That's all good. And there's no doubt God has saved many people that way and maybe saved some of you that that way. But what the Lord's called us to do is to know them and to teach them and to integrate them so much in the community that they publicly invite people to buildings like this and say, I'm going to, I'm going to step into water and I'm going to physically, visibly, publicly go under the water and come out because there's, that's a sacrament. It's a physical symbol of what God has done in the spiritual realm. And this, this is when we begin to see people integrate their whole lives to the ways of the Lord. Acts 2.38, Peter replied this way. 
Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the fullness of the Spirit. Every new believer in the New Testament was baptized in water. And, and listen, if you have a phobia about going under the water, come talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors. There's ways that we can make sure that you're following uh, the spiritual truth of the Lord. Not because water baptism saves you. I know people get nervous. They're like, are you guys secretly Church of Christ? No, we're not secretly Church of Christ, okay? But we believe in water baptism is important. It's important. So because we're like, hey, we're not Church of Christ. We don't think you have to be baptized in water to be saved. And we're like, that's not that big of a deal. Not is a big deal. It's a big deal because if, if, you've, if Jesus has transformed you, changed you, if you've been born again, but you're like, but I'm not going to worry about being baptized in water. I'm like, hey, wait a second. Why wouldn't someone who was in sin, who's been transformed by the power of God, not want to do the very first thing Jesus commanded us to do? And so that's one of the reasons baptism is important. Let's talk about communion. Every, every Christian in every church should take communion. Some take it quarterly. Some take it monthly. Some take it weekly. We take it weekly. There have been a handful of weeks through the years that something happened and we didn't take it or we just kind of said, hey, there's something in the back. And so we're not under any kind of legalistic obligation to take communion every week, nor do we belittle churches who take it occasionally. But we do recognize that what we offer the world in sacraments is that a church does take communion at some point. And they do take communion at some point because that's part of the Christian experience that transforms personality, style, the temporal things that appeal to our flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 15. I'm speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because, verse 17, there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, and since all of us share the one bread. Now, how this happens practically, we have, we have individual communion wafers. We typically order these out of, a, out of a place in Alabama where they specially make communion wafers and and, and um, there's also now Deborah's provided gluten-free options. And so those, those are, those are uh, available to you. And then I've been told even the ones we give normally is a special kind of wheat that is also good for gluten-free people. But if you don't want to take the risk, there's gluten-free stuff here. So there's different kinds of ways. We've used oyster crackers in the past. Those taste the best, but it's got to be a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> Then there's the stuff that's mass-produced that has no taste at all. And you're thinking, what in the world is this? And I'm putting it in my mouth. You know, it has nothing. And there's the pre-prepared communion packs in the back. But it's one bread. One bread. One body. So we are part of the one bread that connects all people who believe in Jesus Christ. Throughout Hendersonville, the northern Nashville area, throughout the world, and throughout all people who have believed in Christ at all times. This is what we offer the world. We offer the world the sacraments. The late Michael Green, he's a theologian, a pastor. Here's a quote I want to share with you. This is great. The church is a community where this mighty spirit of God 
who brings the future into the present is active. That'll make you think for a little bit. I love that quote. The church is a place where the mighty spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, brings the future, which is heaven, and everything, everything that, that, that Aubrey referred to earlier about wiping away our tears and no more struggle, and no more sorrow, no more sin, that mighty spirit of God brings that future into the present and is active. The engagement of the Holy Spirit. What do we offer the world? Here's three. We offer the world the presence of God. That's what we offer the world. We don't just offer the world an intellectual position, though that's important to have those. And repentance has to include the mind. You have to agree that you're a sinner. You have to agree that Jesus is the only way. So there has to be a mental agreement. But it's not just an intellectual presentation that we give. Like we, we, we want to be such good speakers and such good teachers that we intellectually convince you to follow Christ. That's a component, but it's not the whole thing. There's the Holy Spirit of God that's active in this congregation. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit's moving over people who are watching the service right now and who will watch it later in the week. Maybe even years from now, someone's watching this service. They found it somehow, and the Holy Spirit's moving in that person right now. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in this room right now. The Holy Spirit, we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't dwell in a physical location. He dwells in his people Temples of the Holy Spirit. So there's something happening right now. There is something that was happening in worship. There was something that's happening during this sermon. There's things that are going to happen when we go to the table of the Lord. Uh, There's things that will happen in conversations between here and our cars. It's the Holy Spirit. He's active in the church. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The gathering of the people, shaken by the Holy Spirit's power, speaking the word of God, which is what we offer to the world, boldly. We offer the word of God. You see the connection of these things here? The word of God, the sacraments, the presence of God. These are the things that will last. In every generation, these things will be found. In every generation, these things will occur if there's a real church. In every country, these things are happening. If you, you, if you worship the Lord in, in Costa Rica or Honduras or in China or in Iran today, these are the things that will be characteristics of those, those gatherings known as the church. And so we have the presence of God to offer the world. That's why we're people of prayer and we pray and we ask God to do what only he can do. Ask God to do what we can't do on our own by ourselves. And that's what happened um, yesterday. Uh, I'm so glad Beth celebrated with you the, the Thanksgiving blessing. And I won't beleaguer uh, and repeat all the great things that she said. But I know this is that for 15 years we gave less than 200 turkeys a year. And, and thank God for that. This year, we were able to give 1,100 Thanksgiving meals because we cooperated with at least seven different churches. 
And this, this is a beautiful thing. Now, why do we do this, okay? And, and I want to be a little careful here to not do this, pat ourselves on the back and all this, okay? Yeah, it's exciting. Progress is exciting. And, and, and to be frank with you, I was just getting tired of doing the same thing every year. And I was like, Lord, we got to do something. And so I'm glad for the leaders who were mentioned who helped us go to a new level. I like progress. I want to celebrate progress. I like movement. These are good things. But I don't want there to be pride in this because the reason we do this is to offer the tangible love of God. That, that's why we do this. We're, we're, we, don't even, uh, we don't even need a return on investment. We don't, I don't feel like I even have to justify stats to tell you it's a good thing to feed people who are hungry or who need a lift. And our feed people who have nicer cars, cars that cost, you know, more than some houses I've lived in in the past. And that's okay, too. I'm like, great car, here's your meal. Because we're not, those people don't have to justify their need for a meal. And we don't have to make, convert them and require them to be converted to, to eat. That's just not what we, why? Because we share, and here's my fourth point, tangible love. That's what the church offers. We offer the love of God in tangible physical, felt ways. We don't just say, hey, we love you. We show people we love them by being active in our community, by being engaged, by not turning our head away from problems, but stepping into problems. Uh, By identifying where the needs are in our city and in our area and saying, Lord, help us be you to people in need. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Here's a great truth in verse 12. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Guys, you were, we were showing people God's love in a tangible way yesterday. And I say, praise God for that. But let that not be a place of pride. Let it be a catalyst to more good works in the Lord. Let it be a way to open our eyes and say, hey, Thanksgiving's still four days away or five days away. I can still be a Thanksgiving blessing after the church project is done. Because we do things together to be the love of God to people. And that extends every day. And I know you guys have done that and you'll continue to do that. Here's the final thing that we offer the world. It's not the final thing, but I'm going to give you five points today. I could, this could be a 20-point sermon, but we're going to make it a five-point sermon. Here's the last thing we offer the world that I'm going to talk about today. How about that? It's hope. It's hope. Isaiah chapter 25, written many thousands of years ago. In fact, hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this world. And talking about Mount Zion and the place the place where Jesus um, had his ministry and will return. He said, on this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare all people a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. And when he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. Guys, this is the hope we have. You know, every Sunday morning, just about, I turn on the news and 
I have it on as I'm getting ready for for uh, the service that day. And, and there's almost always something bad that's happened on Saturday night. Sometimes it's local things in Nashville. Um, then this morning it was what happened in Colorado Springs, another mass shooting. And, and they often happen on the weekends. And, um, and I'm reminded that we, we, we give hope. We give hope for the future. That, yes, we live in a world that's evil. There's a lot of good things in this world. There's a lot of great things to celebrate. But simultaneously, there's evil and darkness and death. But Isaiah is one of the prophets who spoke about the coming of Jesus in the advent that happened 2,000 years ago. And then he proclaimed the coming of Jesus that will still happen once again when he returns. And there's coming a time, a feast, a place where we get the best that God has to offer, the best cuts of meat, the best wine. And I love how verse 7 said, and on this mountain, that's that ideal place, the Mount Zion, where God is in charge, where Jesus is ruling and reigning with integrity and with perfection. On that place, the burial shroud, the shroud over all the people, the sheet covering the nation, that death that's over people, that disgrace, the Lord's going to remove it. Look at the end of verse 17, if you could put that back up again. The Lord God will wipe away the tears. If you have verse that, that verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 8, put that back up. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. That's what he will do. He'll rem- there are disgraceful things that are happening on this planet, that are happening on this earth as sin gets a hold of people's hearts, as generational sin repeats itself, as cycles of sin go through families and even go through people groups. This is the reality we have today, but it's not the reality of our future. We have a future where God is going to visibly and physically reign on this earth. The Lord God in righteousness and holiness and truth will show the world what it's like when the king of kings, the president of president, the senator of senators, the governor of governors, the mayor of mayors, he rules this earth perfectly without corruption, without without injustice, without trickery, without disappointing us and wars will end. The people of Russia and Ukraine will be free again. Uh, there will be no conflicts in Asia. There will be no drug lords coming from South and Central America to, to, to impact people's lives. These things will be wiped away. No more fears, no more crying over disease, no more crying over rebellion. Rebellion, no more crying over lost dreams. Guys, this is what we have to offer the world. We have, the, we have to offer the world the word of God, which is Jesus, manifested in the sacraments. His visible, his presence among us. This, these are the things that we have to offer because there is a hope that is greater than anyone can know or conceive who is apart from the Lord. And this is what we're offering the world. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, God, for this chance 
to be part of your church. Lord, this gathering, this ecclesia, Lord, this gathering of people, Lord. And I know the enemy wants us to despise the church, reject the church, marginalize the church. I know the enemy wants us to to ignore the church, but Lord, we in our weakness and our frailty, God, Lord, we come under your name and your leadership and your direction. And Lord, we realize that we have something to offer the world that no one else can offer the world. That's you. You are the word of God. Your presence, Lord. Lord, your your personality. Lord, your leadership. Lord, your truth. Lord, let it be hope, God, to a world that needs you. We praise your name for that. And we bless your name for that. Thank you, Jesus. If you're able to stand, let's stand in an attitude of prayer. I want to just thank you just for what you have given to um, a local church. Um, So many of you that I can see in this room right now, you've given so much to this local church. Some of you may be visiting from another church or maybe checking things out. You may be new to town. Thank you for what you've given to a local church. And I just want you to know that, that we have something to offer. We have something to give. And that, that relationship with the Lord that you have, your relationship with the Lord makes such a difference and it matters because your relationship with the Lord is the story that we're telling. That he takes individuals like us, he changes our lives, and then he gathers us together as his representation to the world. And we offer something tangible and real that no other entity can offer. So thanks be to God for this.